Good morning, Christian Chapel. Today, we're continuing a series of messages that we started last Sunday called Graves to Gardens. On Easter, we talked about how Jesus has the ability to turn every grave into a garden. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to explore how he can clear any obstacle. He can overcome any problem. He can deal with any issue that we have. Uh, But before we jump into some of those really faith-building messages, we're going to spend today and next Sunday talking about um, how sin turns gardens into graves. Because before we need Jesus to deal with any of our external problems, we need him to deal with our internal sin problem. So today uh, we're going to be looking at the story of David and Bathsheba from 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, Today we'll look at the, the events that led up to David's fall, and then next week we'll talk about how he repented and recovered from that fall. Now, parents, I know a lot of you are watching these messages with your children, and the story of David and Bathsheba is one that can be a little interesting with younger kids. So I'm going to be aware of that, um, and I'm going to teach this in a a family-friendly manner, but I would encourage you to read the full story of David's interactions with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 through 15, and really pay attention to what led him into these situations the consequences of those, both short-term and long-term, and David's response to it. Uh, But today, what what we really want to pay attention to is that if this can happen to David, the king of Israel, the the man who's in a position to have really everything he wanted and everything going his way, then it's something that can happen to you and I as well. David's story is really one that is meant to get our attention and is meant for us to place ourselves in his shoes. It's intended to be not just a a warning sign, but an example that we learn from so we avoid the same pitfalls. In fact, Peter later gives us similar advice when he advises us that we should be alert and sober-minded. He he tells us in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so as we jump into the story of David today, I want you to pay attention to that word right there, someone. Because the someone the enemy is trying to destroy is you, the someone is me. And so as we read David's story, we're going to try to be alert and sober-minded and learn from his mistakes so we don't fall into the same path. Now, if you read kind of the buildup to the story of David and Bathsheba, so if you read through Second Samuel 7 through 10, you will see that David was kind of at the peak of his powers. He was unchallenged on the throne. He was living in his palace. He was uh, defeating his enemies. Life was about as good as it could get. For the nation as a whole, they probably felt like this was what they had wanted all along when they asked for a king. And what David's story teaches us from the very beginning is that you can't outachieve sin. Now, what I mean by that is, is you and I sometimes fall into this line of thinking where we think if we can just get the next achievement, it will help us defeat the next struggle. Or, or maybe think of it this way. We think if I can get whatever that might be, fill in the blank, then I won't struggle with fill in the blank. So, so let me take you through a couple examples of, of how this looks in our life. We think if I get rich, then I won't struggle with greed. But how often has that proved to be untrue? We think if I just had a little bit more money, then I wouldn't have any problems with it anymore. But as we all know, more money, more problems, right? We also think 
If I get married, then I won't struggle with lust. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years with uh, teenage guys, teenage girls, young adults who, who are convinced that marriage is going to be the solution for their struggles with lust. And, and what do we find? We find that they are often the same couples that are, are back in our office five or 10 years into marriage, and they've recognized it might have put a Band-Aid on it for a season, but it was not a permanent solution. We think if, if I get promoted, then I won't struggle with insecurity. Again, we have these internal issues and we're looking for external solutions. And, and what have those of us found who've received those promotions? We've found with new responsibility, it highlights those insecurities and makes them even more pronounced. Right? We think if I get independence, then I won't struggle with authority. This is what every high school student, college student thinks at some point in life of, if I can just get out of the house, then I'll be fine. If I can just get out of under, from under mom and dad's thumb, then everything will be better. Employees think this all the time. If I could just be in charge, if I could just have my own business, if I was just the one in management, then I wouldn't have a problem. But what we find is, is that happens, but those underlying issues still remain. Or we think if I get possessions, whatever that might be, the car, the truck, the house, the boat, the toy, the gadget, the trip, whatever, then I won't struggle with jealousy. But again, what do we discover? No matter how much we have, somebody else always has more. And that underlying issue never goes away. Why? Because we cannot out-achieve sin. One of the things that, that we learn from David's story is that even if God gives us all that we want, we're still us. So, so one of the prayers that, that I pray kind of half-heartedly for people at Christian Chapel is that, that God would give you everything you ever thought would make you happy. Because what I know you would discover is there's no happiness to be found in all the things that you can acquire. Right, you would join with King Solomon, the wealthiest, the wisest king in all of Israel's history, who attained everything any man could ever want. And what does he tell us in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2? He says it's all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. So when we start to read David's story, and especially as we start to consider how our own sin turns our gardens into graves, we can, we can have this false idea that I can avoid that situation if I can just achieve a little bit more. But what David models for us is we never outgrow our need for a savior. We never mature past the need for the Holy Spirit to speak to us when we're being tempted and show us the way out of it. So as we jump into David's story today, we're gonna pay attention to three ways that the enemy attacks us. And then we're gonna talk about the ways that we can respond when we're attacked. So in 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, we get just the, the opening lines of David's story. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So the first thing we see from David's story is that the enemy attacks through isolation. That, that verse begins, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab and the men out, and David stayed behind in Jerusalem. As far as we know, this is the first time David does this in his, in his role as king. 
Every other time he goes with the army, he leads them out. So David stays back at the palace and he's isolated. Now he's not alone, but he's isolated. The men that David respected, Joab, the other leaders of the army, his mighty men, the men who had been with him when they were running from Saul, all of those men whose opinions David valued, they are gone fighting and David stays back in isolation. And the enemy always attacks us when we're isolated. And those attacks always feel stronger when we're isolated. Now, this is something that is is very important for you and I to be aware of in the current season that we're in. When we are, are forced to be isolated from work, from church, from family, from friends, when we're not able to be with all the people we're normally with, we have lots of extra time by ourselves. And while that can be a very good, positive, affirming thing, it can also be a space where the enemy attacks us. Because you and I were not created to live in isolation. We were created to live in community with people who know us, people who love us, and people who can speak truthfully to us. And so if you are finding yourself feeling increasingly isolated, I would encourage you to be very intentional over the coming days and weeks to begin to reach out to others. In isolation, we can lie to ourselves that no one cares, that no one will find out, and we'll start to entertain thoughts and, and that lead to actions that are destructive to us and to our families. And so if, if isolation is how the enemy attacks, then community is one of the ways that God fights against this for us. And so we want to, even as we are physically separated, maintain our connections with each other. Now, for some of us, this season of isolation has revealed how isolated we really are. As, as all of our kind of surface relationships that are built off of physical interactions and of being in the same spaces, as all of those have been stripped away, we have discovered that the people we thought were our closest friends aren't really that active in our lives. And, and that's not necessarily on them as much as it is on us. And it should cause us to recognize that in this isolation, I'm going to be intentional now to build community. And when this season is over, I will no longer treat community as a convenience, but as a core value of my life. One of my prayers uh, for, for Christian Chapel, for Tulsa, for our nation, for our world, is that this season of, of people feeling quarantined, of people feeling isolated, that it pushes us back, propels us back into community when these days are over. And what we have, have taken for granted, we won't anymore. And we will embrace it and we'll lock into it. If isolation is where the enemy attacks, then community is where we can care for each other. As you keep reading through verse one, you see that it's not just isolation. The enemy attacks David. He also attacks him through distraction. David was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. As the king, if he's not going to be on the front lines fighting with his men, he's at least supposed to be out on the battlefield with them. But he's not. And in that space of distraction, of not focusing on what God had called him to do, David begins to give his attention to other things, to other places, to Bathsheba. He's just in a spot he never should have been in. If David had been fighting with his men, he never would have seen Bathsheba. But he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and the enemy used that as an opportunity to attack him. You and I face the same challenges and temptations. When we are distracted, 
the enemy comes and fights against us. Right? And so we have to pay attention to this. For, for some of us, the, the physical changes and the social changes that we're enduring right now, they have caused us to have more free time, to, to not be as, as, as needed in different places. And it's not that we're not working. It's not that we're not engaged in meaningful activity. But some of the stuff we normally do, we're not doing anymore. And into that empty space, there can come a lot of good as we use our time intentionally to pursue God, to build new relationships, to be part of his kingdom. But in that empty space, the enemy can also work. And as we focus less on what we're supposed to be doing and, and more on just kind of how we want to fill our empty time, the enemy comes and can begin to tempt and begin to attack us in these areas. So we want to be aware when we're isolated, we want to be aware when we're distracted. And then the last thing we see from David's story is the enemy attacks us through convenience. David just gets up one night to go for a walk on his roof. As, as far as we know, he's not standing on top of the palace looking for trouble. But as he makes his way around, the scriptures tell us he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And she's a beautiful woman. She catches his attention. And, and in that space, the enemy combines the isolation David's feeling that, that what's going on in his heart, that he's distracted from his mission and he presents him with an opportunity. And in that, that whole area, David begins to believe the lie that, hey, I can do this and no one will ever know. I can do this because no one's here to stop me. I can do this because I'm powerful and I deserve it. And so he begins this, this long uh, walk down this road of destruction. He sees her. He sends someone to find out about her. They come back and report she's married. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of the men who's fighting for you right now. And David's response is, bring her to me. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. She sends back word to David, letting him know, hey, I'm pregnant with your child. David's response is to bring Uriah back to try to cover up his actions. It doesn't work. So ultimately he has Uriah killed. And this whole pattern, started with this moment of convenience where David was in the wrong place at the wrong time and the enemy took advantage of that to present him with an opportunity that he thought he would get away with. And the enemy works the same way with you and I. And he, he takes the, the temptations that are in our heart, the struggles that are in our mind, combines them with the circumstances of life and presents us with opportunities to act on what is going on inside of us. And if we entertain those thoughts and those temptations long enough, we will eventually then take those steps of action and begin to experience the same type of destruction that David experienced. Right, David's story is a, 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 just a tragic, horrible story. He doesn't even repent until he's confronted by the prophet Nathan. And, and we'll talk more about that next week. But for today, what I, I want you to understand is that when you find yourself in a position like David was, maybe you feel isolated, maybe you feel distracted, maybe you feel like this is awfully convenient, it feels like the, the temptation is unavoidable. What I want you to remember is in that moment, you still have a choice. It is not inevitable that you're going to sin. There is no temptation, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, that will ever come upon you that's beyond your ability to resist. But God will always provide a way out for you. So you consider David's example. And again, read through this story this week. When David is walking around on top of the palace, 
He has an opportunity when he first sees Bathsheba to know that that is not a space for me to be looking. I'm going to turn and go back to bed. When he sends someone to find out who she is and the report comes back, she's married. He has a choice to make of, okay, she's married. That is not a path I'm going to go down. When she's brought to his palace and again is reminded she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, he has an opportunity to make a choice to send her back home. When she becomes pregnant, he has a choice to own up to his failures. When Uriah is killed, he has a choice to own up to what he's done. All along the way, David had choices to make, and it's the same thing for you and I. When we give in to sin and our sin begins to turn gardens into graves, it's not an instantaneous thing that happens to us, but it's the end result of a long series of choices. You see, we never just fall into sin. We walk into it, right? Think of it this way. So um, I've got this box here and it's just a, just a normal plyometric box. Now, if, if I came next week and told you a story about how I fell off that box and got hurt, um, you would naturally assume that I had in some way got on top of the box, right? But if my story was, no, 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 I don't, I don't know how it happened. I just suddenly I was on top of it and I fell off. Nobody's going to believe me. And yet that's, that's how we talk about sin a lot of times. We talk about falling into sin. We talk about stumbling into sin. We never have really honest conversations of, I made a series of poor choices, giving into one temptation after another, and it eventually led me into this extreme moment of destruction. Right? It's a, if I'm going to fall off that box, there are a couple things that have to happen. First of all, I've got to walk up by it. I've got to put my foot on it. I've got to put my other foot on it. I'm standing up on it. And then at some point, I've got to walk over to the edge of it. And if I'm pushed, if I fall, if I choose to jump, something has to happen. But the, the thing that pushes me off can't happen as long as I stay on the ground, as long as I stay away from the box. But for many of us with our sin, we get to this point and then we get knocked off and then we act surprised. Like, I can't believe that ever happened to me. But there were so many moments along the way when we were isolated, when we were distracted, when we had so many choices where we could have said no, but we didn't. We kept walking down the path of destruction. We kept making choices that turned gardens into graves. What I, what I want to leave you with today from David's story is that you always have the ability to walk away. Again, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out for you. And so my prayer for you this week is you might feel isolated. You might feel distracted. There might be a lot of really convenient temptations around you, but you do not have to give in. You can resist by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. You can believe that in the same way Jesus defeated death and sin for you, he also defeats temptation every time you face it. You can start to view every element, every moment of temptation as an opportunity to experience the power and the presence of Christ. Now, I, I know for some of us this morning, we're listening to this message and, and the, the thought in your mind is, it's too late for me. I already gave in. I already jumped off the box. I'm already on the path of destruction. If that's you, I want to encourage you. First of all, Jesus sees you, he knows you, and he stands ready to forgive you. 
And secondly, I want to encourage you to tune in next week when we talk about what it looks like to repent and experience the forgiveness that Jesus brings to us. But today I want to to just conclude by encouraging us, no matter what you face, no matter how strong it might be, you can walk away. The path you're on is not inevitable. It's not unavoidable. But God is speaking to you. He's providing you a way out. We'd love to partner with you in that. If if you'd like to speak with one of our pastors, you can reach out to us at christianchapel.com slash prayer. We'll get back with you this week and, and would love to be part of your journey of walking in freedom and walking away from the temptations that the enemy is throwing at you. I want to finish this morning by praying for us and then the band's going to lead us in a final song. Lord, I thank you that in every season of temptation, your power is present and your power is enough. So Holy Spirit, I pray for those who this season of isolation and distraction has uh, awakened old demons. It has shined light into to new areas of, of darkness that they did not think were a problem anymore. Lord, it has opened them up to new um, experiences of destruction. I pray that they would experience the freedom that you bring. Lord, help us all to see that when we are tempted, you are always providing a way out for us. Help us to choose the path of life and to walk with you on it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for joining us today. We would love to hear from you. If you have any needs, please drop those off at christianchapel.com slash prayer. If you would like to continue to worship with your giving, you can do that at christianchapel.com slash give, or you can drop it in the mail and get it to us that way. Thank you so much for continuing to be part of our community and continuing to invest your time and your resources into what God is doing at Christian Chapel and all over the world. God bless you.